Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiban, and it's great to be with you here this wonderful afternoon. This week, my friends, very exciting time, Chodesh Tov, as we're welcoming the month of Elul, the final month on the Jewish calendar. Actually, it's the seventh month. But we don't want to complicate things too much. But this is the time of the year when we take stock, when we look at ourselves, when we examine our deeds, and we realize how we can become the best version of ourselves. And so tomorrow in Shul, or rather Shabbos, we're going to read the portion of Shoftim this week, which addresses many fundamental issues pertaining to the leadership of the Jewish people. And, of course, as the book Deuteronomy means repetition, Moshe Rabbeinu Moses continues his Review of the entire Torah begins with a discussion regarding the judges and later gives rules pertaining to kings and prophets and the Kohanim, the priests. Many commandments are introduced in our parsha, actually, including appointing judges and the obligation to follow rabbinic law is explicitly mentioned in our parsha. And to follow the words of the prophets as well, the obligations relating to a king and the punishments for perjury and the laws of war and the procedure for dealing with unsolved murders, and so much more that is all mentioned in our Parsha. But what's very interesting is at the very beginning of the Parsha, when it starts off and it begins to tell us that we have to follow the ways of the judges. I really love the the, the verse at the beginning where it's, it's a very, you know, it seems innocent. But when you look, when you pay deeper attention, with deeper reflection, there's a, a beautiful perspective, world outlook, which we need to pay heed to. And I want to remind you the verse and tells us that we should appoint judges and officers who are going to enforce the judgments. And it says, You should come to the priests and to the judge who will be in those days. Those days. And you're going to inquire and they're going to tell you the judgment. And do whatever they tell you, right? They're going to give you judgment, rules, instructions. You follow their verdict, their judgment, their ruling. Now, there's an obvious question, an anomaly here. Why does the verse say you should go to the judge who will be in those days? Meaning in the time when you're seeking the guidance for whatever questions, queries, dilemmas that you're seeking resolution for. The words who will be in those days seem superfluous, unnecessarily redundant. Obviously, I'm going to come to the judge who lives during my time. Even if I want to, I can't go to the judge who lived a century or a millennia ago or, I don't know, in the future. Just saying the words, you should go to the judge, wouldn't that be sufficient? We would understand that it's referring to the judge who lives in my time, not in the times of Paul Kruger or Alexander the Great or some other great individual of the past. And the Talmud actually asks this question, and the Gemara gives us a very interesting response. The Talmud tells us that the Torah, by adding these four seemingly apparent extra unnecessary words, the Torah is addressing a mindset that is ingrained in our psyches. We call it the good old day syndrome. You know that song? Those were the days, my friends, we thought they'd never end. We'll try to get that on here just now. Craig's searching for that song and we'll put that on for you. But, you know, there's always the good old days. As someone once put it, nostalgia isn't what it used to be. One writer some time ago wrote, 
that uh, that her daughter always rolls her eyes whenever she begins with any of her story, the, the stories. You know, here, here he goes. She says, "Tell one about the time you said you used to walk alone to school, or about the time that you used to remember people's phone numbers by heart." Or the time you used to swim outside like in a pond or something with frogs in it. So this writer was saying, you know, it wasn't so long ago. And it wasn't such a hardship either. And there was actually something quite pleasant about, say, getting lost as you walked in the city without having to immediately pull out our phones and figure out directions based on Google Maps or ways. As if, you know, everybody at one time or another is going to say, the good old days. Maybe I'm also getting old and saying the good old days. My friends, it's like as if the past was a much greater paradise to be in than we are today. Even people who had to live through rough times in their youth. You know, I, my father grew up during the Second World War, before the wars. And, 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 you know, there were tough times. And yet there were also times to remember with affection. So the question I ask you is, were the good old days so good? Or is that some kind of a psychological illusion? Let's talk about that when we'll be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi FM, I'm your host Rabbi Ari Kievman. And today we're beginning with a question. We're wondering, in the Torah portion, we're going to read this Shabbos, the portion of Shoftim. We have a verse very at the very beginning of the Parsha, which tells us that you have to go to the judges that will be in your time. And the question I asked was, why does it emphasize the judges in your time? And I was introducing this idea how we oftentimes look back to the past. We always think there's this nostalgia of the past. We're always thinking maybe the good old days are better. And we're wondering why does the Torah add these specific words here? And I'm going to share with you a very interesting concept or idea that the Talmud tells us about this, which will hopefully shape our perspective and the way we see things. Because as we all know, why is it that we always talk about the good old days, about our past history? You know, the we all know that, uh, you know, the past, when we look back at it, hindsight bias, they call it, I think. It could make almost anyone nostalgic for the good old days. It may be because, you know, it's irretrievable. The, the old days capture a past that we can never go back to, maybe because our past is certain. You know, unlike the future, which is certainly uncertain. And that appeals to us psychologically. We, we love certainty. But yet we know yesterday is history and tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift of God. And that's why it's called the present. And this is something that Talmud tells us about perhaps why it's telling us. We think the good old days represents our youthful innocence as the rabbi of Chabad Senior's programs. I all the time hear from people those old days when things were the way they were so much better. Maybe we know that the past we can no longer take, we can no longer go back to, right? The fact that we survived our past, it makes it somewhat meaningful to us because it was there and maybe it's done. And I always hear Yentes who talk about, you know, everything is so expensive these days. You know, back in 1950, you could buy a brand new nine room, beautiful home for whatever, uh, 10,000, 100,000 rand. I mean, don't forget what the rand was worth and it was probably stronger than the dollar back in those days. You could buy a car back then for how much and the petrol for it and a large loaf of bread cost what? It's before the days of pick and pay. 
how much did a coffee cost back then? And you could even get free refills. But we forget that also back then, a low-end job maybe also didn't pay as well as a job today. So you have to realize how costs have appreciated with inflation and as time evolves and the costs go, maybe it's not so different than back then. We hear this all the time. All this processed food is killing us. What happened to the good old days when food was unprocessed and the old-time family meals when we'd sit together? And the truth is, there is there is something to that because it was nice not having the distractions of our phones and TV and internet and emails and WhatsApps and everything else. Of course, maybe the foods, a lot of foods have all types of GMOs and ingredients that are not so healthy for us. And the Torah does tell us, as we read in the Torah portion two weeks ago, that we have to look after our health. And we should eliminate those things that are unhealthy in our diet, even the schmaltzering at the bracha. But let's not forget that the lifespan of today has tripled what it was not so very long ago. Some things about our diet and our living conditions are incredibly positive and blessed. And while there are parts of our diet that are unhealthy, well, let's address them, let's deal with them. So this is there's, there's so much that you could look back at the past, but if you pay proper attention, then perhaps we even live in better and more blessed times today. Someone said the other day that he wishes he could still have a flea circus that they used to have back in Europe. Little did this idea realize that the the human ringmasters had to feed the tiny performers with their own blood, typically twice a day, 15 to 30 minutes per feeding. And then, of course, once in a while, there are some things that were indeed better in the past, and we do crave for those things. And we should be pragmatic and realistic about what was and wasn't better in the past. So that good old days mantra is applied most when it comes to leadership, which is what the Torah portion this week is discussing. But oftentimes, I still hear this from many of my seniors who come to our program. They start telling me, we used to have real leaders. Nobody today. Once upon a time, you had somebody to consult with. We used to have great rabbis and great sages and scholars and great people of piety and wisdom and discernment. And people talk about how today there's nothing. Everyone, as if all rabbis today are fools and ignorant and radical and impractical and corrupt. And, and this one's uh, Khomeini and he's too extreme and that one's too lenient and this one's too modern and that one's too orthodox. Everyone's got agendas and everybody's driven. But we have to realize we don't live in the past, even if the past maybe was better. And as with everything... Many of these complaints that we hear, they are laments of nonsense. Most tales of corruption and stupidity that we face today have always been there, often with less transparency than today. Or as Yogi Berra says it, it's deja vu all over again. In Ecclesiastes, in Kohelet, Shlomo Melech put it, what has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. This doesn't excuse anyone, but it puts things in context that basically the more things change, the more they stay the same. And while it's true that some things in the past were indeed far better, there were people in the past whose caliber we will not even discover today. The Talmud itself says, if the ancients were like angels, then we're like people. If they were like people, then we're like donkeys. So it's impossible to find today the likes of some of those people 
who graced our world in generations and generations ago. We don't have scholars of the Talmud and Mishnah today. We don't have prophets of the times of Tanakh today. But, you know, you can't just shirk ourselves from responsibility and accountability and say, you know, I, I can't find anyone to be my, my Rav because, you know, I can't find a rabbi like in the past or I can't find someone to be my mentor or my confidant or leader or guide or, or somebody who could inspire or motivate you because you can't find the same people as you did long ago. The Talmud is telling us that the Torah is addressing us when it speaks of going to the judge who will be living in your day. Don't see the Torah as his story. It's our story. Look at the, the, the prophets, the judges, the leaders of your time. Obviously, you're going to go to the judge in your time, not to the one who's lived decades ago. Someone who's long deceased. The Torah is actually telling us something much deeper. Rashi says that although this judge may not be the, of the same stature as the other judges who preceded him, but you still have to listen to that judge because... You only have the judges, the leaders who live in your time. You can't just have this nostalgia of the past of thinking, oh, I could only go to those who lived long ago. And we don't have those people anymore. Talmud says, if Rabbi Akiva was alive, one of the sages said, I would become a student. If Rabbi Zaira and Rabbi Yochanan were alive, I would go study by them. But you hear the same thing today. Maybe people say, if, if, if the Rebbe, if this one, but... Let's be practical and realistic of who you can go to today. After the war, many Jews used to say, if the rabbis from their Haim, from the Alta Haim, if they were alive, if the old-time rabbis from long ago were around, I would go to them. But today's guys, please, these are rabbis. These are the leaders. Don't get me talking about them. I remember them in their nappies. And while we hear these words all the time, we have to face the reality of who we do have. So stop saying if so-and-so is alive, now that's a leader, but who we have today. While some of this may be nonsense, and some of this may be very true, but it's precisely this issue that the Torah is addressing. You might not find Rabbi Akiva. He lived 1,800 years ago or more. But God has placed you in this generation, and God has given us the ability to find a person, a mentor, a guide, a leader, somebody we could connect with, somebody who could be your inspiration, somebody who could be there for you and could give you the direction, the guidance and instruction that you need. And you should look for the judge who lives in those days, the Torah says. In those days, meaning in your time. Stop looking back at the past. We have to recognize that oftentimes it's our own ego, or our fear that will not allow us to look up to any person just because we we think that they're not the same caliber as people of the past or to take their their instruction or critique and it's our own insecurity or or maybe an arrogance which doesn't allow us to be accountable to anyone in this world so we all have excuses give me a rebbe from the past and then i'll be accountable to them but sorry to say you live today not in those days so please the Torah itself is telling us, don't fool yourself. We have to remember, when do we live? We live today. In fact, there's a verse in Kohelet, again, King Solomon says, Al Tamar, a person should not say, Don't say what happened the old days, the former days were better than these. 
It's not a wise question. Perhaps I could give you another interpretation of the wording based on the inspirational teaching from the Magad of Mezrich. But first, let's understand this. Basically, the question King Solomon is suggesting is a question. Why are we not privy to some of the great figures who lived in the past? But if King Solomon himself addressed this question and he gave us the answer, he says it's not a wise question. It's not a question coming from Chachma, from profound and sacred wisdom. For our wisdom must tell us that each generation actually has its own mission and destiny. And that each generation was given all the resources that it needs to fulfill its objectives. The type of leader and judge that I need in order to live up to, to, to live up to my calling today, to live up to my potential. We actually have those people. And if I only had that humility to get off my high horse and open myself up to people, might not be perfect. They might be older or younger or have other imperfections or shortcomings or failures that, guess what? They're humans. But those are the leaders of my time. And it's true the other way around too. Sometimes we look at ourselves and say, are we the leaders today? What a disgrace. I'll be the leader of this generation. I know myself better. Don't think I don't say that sometimes. But as John Quincy Adams said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, to learn more, to do more, to become more, then you're a leader. And if you find yourself in a particular position, if you are placed here and now, you are in that position to influence. You might not be the rabbi, you might not be the rebbitzin, you might not be the gabbai, you might not be the president, but we are all leaders in our own sphere, in our own circle of influence. We all have positions of leadership and we mustn't underestimate it. And therefore, if we are in that position, we have to stop analyzing ourselves and get into the paralysis of analysis. We have to do the job that we are destined, that we are placed to dare to do. I want to share with you a story. Yehuda Avner, who was here for the Sana and Daba a couple of years ago and came out, Chabad has brought him to speak a few times for our community. He served as an ambassador and advisor to the to several, I think the five Israeli prime ministers. We, in fact, distributed his book back then. It's called The Prime Ministers. I believe there was a movie that came out about it as well called The Prime Ministers. And he was working alongside towering figures of his time. I mean, Menachem Begin and Golda Meir. You're talking about big figures who themselves weren't necessarily so religious, but Yehuda Avner himself was a religiously observant Jew. And he was intimately involved in Israel's statecraft for three decades. He was a statesman of note and he took part in policy meetings and he was sitting in on talks with heads of state. He was of a very prestigious and prominent position. And Ambassador Avner shared one fascinating and telling recollection that you can read in his book from his illustrious career. And he describes on an occasion in 1975, Read it to you. He says, when U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger, God bless him, he's over a 100 years old, still traveling the world. I believe he was in China last week on some kind of a mission. Uh, what He was the one who created that diplomacy, shuttle diplomacy, running from one place to another. And that's what Yehuda Avner had to do too, negotiating with Prime Minister Yitzhak Rabin at the time with the Egyptian president Anwar Sadat. And they tried to bring about the interim agreement in Sinai, which ultimately led to the peace process. And the negotiations broke, broke down at some time because Rabin was not satisfied with the proposals, which he felt were not strong enough, were not good enough. They impinged on Israel's security. And Kissinger went off in a huff 
and he was ready to place the failure of this whole mission on Israel. Well, Yehud Avner describes how the showdown occurred just before Shabbos, and Rabin asked him to immediately prepare the case for worldwide broadcast before Kissinger had a chance that he would brief the pressmen, accompanying them on the flight back to Washington, and it wouldn't be so good if it, if Kissinger, although he was Jewish too, that he would give off the American perspective and place, cast the blame on Israel. Well, there was a battle of public opinion that was on, and it wasn't easy to persuade to win over the American Congress and the American people, the public, about this, you know, whose version of things to follow, whose version of the story was true. And so Yehud Avner says he was the only one on the premier staff who was not only familiar with all the facts, but he was also very proficient. He had the language skills and the competence to really present the case on Israel's behalf to articulate it properly and well. But he told Rabin that Shabbos was coming. And that he was asking him to do wasn't a matter of vital policy, but for what you call Hasbara, public opinion, public diplomacy, PR. And he said that he wasn't willing to violate Shabbos for PR. Well, he says, do I remember the look of contempt on Rabin's face when he left? And the next day, Shabbos afternoon, after davening Mincha at the Grashul in the neighborhood where he lived in Sharei Chesed in Jerusalem, he said he saw the great venerable Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Arbach of blessed memory. He was one of the great halachic authorities of the past half a century. And he asked him Yiddish, what's new? I told him that, uh, you know, what happened. And Rabin asked him to write on Shabbos his rebuttal, his, uh, not a rebuttal, his perspective, his spin on things. And Yehud Avner described to Rabbi Arbach how he refused it. And he said that Rabbi Arbach said to him in Hebrew, are you sure you had all the information to make the right decision? Meaning, are you sure you were well informed of the consequences of Israel not responding, which actually the damage that can do might be warranted as a reason to actually violate Shabbos? And when he, he um, Yehuda Avner describes, he immediately went back to the Prime Minister's office. When he got there, it was already the end of Shabbos. And Rabin was in the midst of an emergency cabinet session. And as he walked in, Rabin spat at him. He said, now you come, it's too late. And he showed him the briefings that Kessinger had given to the journalists accompanying him on his flight back to Washington, which the whole entire blame for this crisis was placed on Israel's shoulders. So what was the point when Yehuda Avner was relating the story? and was trying to share this perspective, how serious the consequences were that President Gerald Ford at the time declared a reassessment of the whole U.S.-Israel relationship. And actually, with a whole arms embargo that was taking place at the time, all because Israel didn't have a chance to present its perspective. And before we take the ad break, I just want to say, you know, Yehuda Avner was trying to be a good Jew, but the greatest rabbi at the time told him, that what he was doing was wrong. And Yehuda Avner related the story, and he told it over many times since. So when it comes to issues of Jewish security, you're obligated to violate Shabbos. Israel's relationship with the USA is of paramount importance. And as Yehuda Avner said, it taught him a great lesson that I think we could all learn. In the words of the Mishnah that we know in Perki Avot, where it says, Every person should have a Rav, a guide, a mentor, someone who could spiritually lead them. 
Every single one of us needs a rabbi, a guide, an instructor, some confidant, someone who could consult with when a question comes up, someone that we are, that we are accountable to about our routines, our behaviors, our patterns. And don't say, ah, there's no one left. Moshe Rabbeinu 3,300 years ago in our Torah portion was telling us, go to the judge who will be in those days, in the time that you are living. So remember, stop looking back at the past, at those were the days, my friends. But rather realize, these are the days, my friends. Make sure they never end. We'll be right back. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Ladies and gents, we've been talking today about this question in the Torah portion this week. The idea that the Torah seems to add these extra, extra or superfluous words of you should go to the judge who will be in those days, meaning in the time when you're seeking guidance for your dilemmas. And as we've been discussing, while it seems superfluous to say the judge who will be in your days, obviously you're not going to come to a judge who lived sometime long ago or somebody's going to live in the future. But the truth is, as we've been discussing today, the Torah is teaching us a very profound lesson. Because oftentimes there's this good old days syndrome that people have, where people think, ah, those were the days, and only back then were, were the right leaders and the dynamic leaders. But we have to realize that it's right here, right now, in our times, when we have great leaders. And there's no point in saying those were the days, looking back to the past, and we have the guidance and the leadership that we need today. We need to realize who is, who's our guide, who's our leader. You can't just look for people who were in the past. And it's the Torah by adding these words that seem unnecessary is addressing that mindset that is oftentimes ingrained in our psyches. And that's, again, the good old days syndrome. Don't have to say, you know, that nostalgia, that's not what it used to be. Everybody at one time or another is going to talk about the good old days as if the past was so much better of a time to be than today. Yesterday's history and tomorrow's a mystery. Today is the gift of God. That's why it's called the present. And so we don't have to look back at the past and we can't worry about what's going to be in the future. But rather, we need to focus on today. I live today. I exist today. I'm here today. Well, let me seek the guidance of the leadership who is with us here today and to talk to those who we are in touch with, to talk to those and learn from those who can guide us in today's day and age because they are the people who we live with today. And so, my friends, this is the message I wanted to share with you today that we might not have the Rebbes and leaders who we had in the past. And we can certainly, we're certainly not going to fill their shoes as of, the, of those who have been here in the past. But let's let's realize that it's all a matter of perspective. God runs our world and God has given us the resources that we need to live fully and properly and productively and meaningfully today and to actualize our potentials and to realize our mission. And with a change of perspective, we might realize that there are great human beings all around us. In fact, the very first one is open your eyes and stand in front of the mirror and you will find yourself and realize that you are and have the greatest potential to be the greatest leader in your sphere of influence and where you are. And even the person who's next to you, who you might have to seek their guidance for one thing or another, if you realize that we live today, let us make the best of today's day and age and the era in which we live. 
And therefore, we ought to aspire to inspire before we retire so that we do not expire. My friends, ladies and gents, we're going to have to end it a little earlier today. We're wishing you carpe diem, wishing you a meaningful and purposeful Shabbos. And pay attention to this song, Those Were the Days, and then just reword it. These are the days, my friends. Make sure they never end. Carpe diem. Seize every moment that we are here. Thank God for the blessings to be alive.